and welcome to episode 113 of the Hunger for the Hustle podcast. I'm joined today by a fella who we've been waiting to get on here for a long time. We've been back and forth on this for a while. Wasn't always that easy, and I suppose it's not when you want to do it in the same place and you and you end up doing on the other side of the world. But a great bloke, someone who has genuinely been an inspiration to me for a long time, and a fellow hustler, a fellow entrepreneur, a man who doesn't give up and keeps going in spite of. Jay, it's good to welcome you on the show, man. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Cheers. Let's start off with that. Cheers. This is probably the first one I've ever done, yeah. actually, that I've enjoyed a couple of beers whilst doing it. So. Mm. It will be rude up to so yeah, I got you on the show because I'm gonna that's always the top of, of the podcast and you're a true hustler as I would I would call him. Mm-hmm. You got a great story to that. Um we're sat here right now in the doghouse creative in uh, the top of St. Caulfield, North Birmingham. We'll get to how you got to here later, but let's start right back at the start and, and the first time you ever cut my hair. Um with the basement barbers, I mean, there's a bit prior to that, isn't there? But basement barbers was 2011, wasn't it? No, no, 2001. Well, no, it would have been 2013. 13. Okay, 13. Yeah. In uh, and it was a, a little shop in the basement of another salon. Cleverly named by myself. Yeah. I think that's where I realised I've, I've got the imagination to to create some brands. I don't know mm. in the basement and. Yeah, that's where the name comes from. I've got to go with it. But where did you start? Where did you learn to start cutting hair? Where did you get the desire to want to do it? I started off as a hairdresser um, when I was very young. I was still at school, pretty much. I was walking down this whole street where we are now. Mm. Um, Full circle. I was in Sutton Park, uh, messing about with the boys, <clears throat> as you do. And um, yeah, I walked past the salon down the road called Kimono, and there was a um, fair few females in there. Kimono? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's not there anymore, is it? Yeah, it's still there. Oh, still yeah, there. still there. Robin's still there. Okay. So, um, we're right next to it, and I didn't notice it was still there. Cool, sir. I thought big time. So, yeah. I walked past, and um, loads of female, my missus probably won't want me saying that. But, uh, when I've ever done a, an interview with anybody employing me, I always want to be a hairdresser, Jack. I'm like, um, couldn't really have an answer for that. So, up in a council state, I was, I was a bit of a lad, and um, being a hairdresser probably wasn't on the agenda. Um, so, I don't know why I started it, but the only reason that I could go down to was for the women to be Fair enough. in that industry and um, involved. And there's, a, and there's a lot more people that have chased a lot worse things yeah. for the reason of women. So, that or building site with, with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I don't know which one I want to yeah. head in that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's yeah. cool. So, but, yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. But, you know, and then so you did. And you're working at a salon in a hairdresser's at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so how many years did you do that before? Before, so I started off as a Saturday boy, just sweeping hair, 15, yeah. probably, yeah, probably a bit younger. No, probably 15. Sweeping hair, you know, washing, washing hair, making tea, uh, and then sort of slowly realised that I've got a bit of a flair for it after what after the owner got picked up. Um, or sorry, one of the stylists got picked up by my dad, who was a ta- taxi driver at the time. <clears throat> and um, just happened to be picking up somebody from Kimono who was speaking about an apprentice um, who's a natural hairdresser. Right. <clears throat> and my dad was like, so you work at Kimono? That's my son, basically. And then my dad told me what he'd said, and I was like, okay, no, I can actually do this. I'm actually, um, yeah, so the rest is history, really. I continued as a hairdresser, um, 
for about two years, I think I learned, I learned hairdressing trade, tried colouring, tried, tried everything really. I was moving from, from all of it. I just thought, I tried it all and um, yeah, decided, I think, a bit further down. I didn't decide by choice. I think I got sacked actually, probably more, more to the point, probably uh, going out and not turning up on a Saturday morning was my only downfall as a... As a <laughs> That's a thing, I suppose. <laughs> With uh, hairdressing barbering, not so much barbering. I feel like barbers are open almost seven days a week now, a lot of them. But, um, yeah, yeah, we'll get onto them in a bit. Those Turkish barbers. Um, but yeah, it was, they, all, they all worked Saturday night in the salon and they usually have the Monday off. So um, always good for a party on a Sunday night. <laughs> Sundays were great, but for some reason I still ended up out on a Friday night. And um, yeah, but these babies. Yeah. That's in the past. That is in the past, but I mean, let's let's stay in the past for a little while longer yeah, there because, yeah. you know, fast forward from there, um, you know, we all get led astray at points in our lives. And I'm going to go straight to that because I think it's a, it's a great interest in part of the story. Maybe perhaps a part of the story a lot of people won't know for you, you know. You uh, got led astray and uh, a few things led you into uh, a short, uh, yeah. it wasn't a short, was it actually? It wasn't a short, it was 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 a Bit of a bargain to be fair. It's a cheap hotel for three months. Yeah, it's <laughs> suitcase fit nicely in the boot. And um, yeah, I mean, no, but that's not that's not a good thing. That's really, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I don't laugh about that, but it's actually not very funny. Gone, you know, there could be some people who can relate to that heavily. And yeah, yeah. was that like a, a circumstantial thing? You just yeah. kind of so you, circumstances at the time at my um, young age. Uh, my parents wanted to, to move to have a better life in, in Somerset and at that, at that age I was more interested in my mates and being on the streets and, and um, generally being a dickhead to be honest. So yeah. I, had a, I had a girlfriend at the time, thought that was like, you know, well, I've got a girlfriend and I'm going to live with her and I did for a bit until I got kicked out of there. And um, What age was this? So my parents left when I was... Um, I was literally, I was 15, so just before my 16, it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's young to be. It's a young to be. Being at that age and being the type of person I was, yeah, okay, I was hairdressing, I was trying to be a hairdresser. Mm. I was still a dickhead. Like, I was still up to all sorts of fighting, doing whatever I, like, I shouldn't have been doing. So, I couldn't go to my nans, I couldn't go. My sister just had a new, a new a baby. Um, she lived in, in a small place herself, so I couldn't live there. I couldn't go and live with my mates because they were still young, so it was like, fuck it. Did you have their own places? Didn't have places. Yeah. So my, my parents, they they asked me to go, do you know what I mean? I yeah. never ever, um, you know, say they left me. Like mm. I was I was old enough to make my decision, yeah. my decision was to to stay. Was it the right decision or the wrong decision? I think there's an answer to that. I think whatever I decided to do, you know, led me on the start of my journey, wherever that was going. And yeah, um, yeah going down to Somerset to live in the middle of nowhere just didn't appeal to me. So no, especially when you're when you're 15, 16 years old, you've just left school if you decided to stay there, you know, and 
you kind of just forming those social connections and those relationships in life. Be like, these are my pals, you know, these are yeah, the people. Well, like, like, yeah, we were in the Ramsar crew, man. We were in our own gang, we had a little bus stop. And, yeah. You know, that was, um, you know, we'd fought together, we'd jump together, we'd yeah. drugs together, and, yeah. you know, all the stupid stuff you do as a, as a young teenager. So I was like, man, I ain't leaving this gang. This is, these are, these are my boys, you know what I mean? This is my life. Well, especially, you know, if it's said, like, we're moving to, um, Worcester, or like even the other side of the Midlands, yeah. you know, or maybe North yeah. Island, but Somerset, you know, where it's like well, it's, it's track, it, all yeah. you know is it's like it's it's an underpass and tractors, you like, yeah, and um, that's about it, really. But no, my parents they 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 did it at a time where they was ready to move and they wanted to have a better life for my little sister, mm-hmm. man, which you know, I don't. My parents did everything they could for me, and I had a really good upbringing, mm-hmm. um, and then. My dad and my mum, they decided, well, like, we want out of Birmingham because it was, I think my mum and my dad wanted to, to better their lives. And um, as much as now, when you look back, you think, well, you know, <clears throat> was it the right time or wasn't it? I don't really care. All I care about is um, it formed my past and it sort of shaped my future, if you know what I mean. I think that's probably the best way to describe it. Yeah, no, I think it's a good way to describe it. And yeah. I think, you know, you actually—it's really interesting because you were given the choice there, and you chose to. No, I'm going to go this alone. I'll live in the car. I'll, I'll do it for as long as it yeah. you know changes. Yeah. And and that was probably um, the start. And as we're going to find out in the rest of the story, yeah. the start of a lot of. I, I think if you choose to do the hard things in life first, lost actually easier. If you choose yeah. to keep doing the easier things, life becomes yeah. harder. Yeah. And maybe that for you, even at the young age, was like. I'm actually going to choose what's yeah. on the face of it comfortable over here. It probably became quite uncomfortable, but definitely the harder thing. Yeah, like I was in some situations where I'd be like, say you was out with your mates or you was at parties and everyone like, oh, I'm going home and I'm thinking, fuck, you know, I ain't really got one. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that yeah. sounds really sad. And like, it was, the, it was the reality of my life and mm-hmm. people don't have a clue. They didn't have a clue. Even when I was at quite a oh, right, so you, you, you keep it the secret, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Straight back into the Cavalier and sleep on the book car park. I'd wake up some mornings and just school kids would be through the window like, and I'd be like, fuck oh, off, man. Do you have driving license? That's what yeah. I'm thinking about. She <laughs> had a car. Yeah, I bought my first car. My dad actually, um, if he was here now, would be able to verify this. So he came into my bedroom when I was 14. And he said, I know you've got a car, you little prick. And I went, what? Because <laughs> 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 you think, I don't know if you think everything's yeah. you think a box, so you yeah. think everything's a secret. I was literally, I bought my first car for £30 at the back of boundary shops. Um, the back of Streety School, off a, off a, off a street, street, off one of the older lot. Yeah. Can't remember his name, but he was one of the older ones, and I think he actually stole that car his own mum, and he was he was on some heavy drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, welcome to Birmingham. Yeah. So uh, yeah, thirty pound. It was a burgundy Peugeot, and I actually learned to drive because um, that would probably be another question. People, like, well, what do you know to drive? Mm. Well, I actually learned to drive on probation because they took us to the Stratford Motor Museum. And they taught 14 year olds how to drive. And I thought, well, that's great, but it's probably not the place to take people who are already well, showing signs of probably going to be a terrible life. Yeah, yeah. You know, 
joyriding and whatnot. No. But I thought, if you want to take to me, I'm here to learn. The thrill of driving, I mean, I think like when I first had my first car, you were just like, I remember the instructor going to me, second time I passed and I had like 13 minors, I think it's 15 you're allowed, and he goes, but you just, uh, he goes, I've let you pass, but only because I'm a fair marker, and then like, he goes, oh, I strongly recommend you take the advanced driving test, because I feel that you'll be one of these ones I see in the paper in a few weeks' time, and I was like, the past, he's only passed for a lot. Oh, I'll say, yeah, but that thrill of driving when you're that young and you've got it wasn't until no yeah. I was actually 19 when I actually passed the leader, I had three lessons, and then actually in Western Sydney, when my mum and dad lived, which leads on to me um, getting myself into such a mess a, a mess like I was on drugs, I was on a doll, I was buying drugs just to get me through the week and the weekend. Just to, I was buying drugs to sell them just to party through that week and that weekend. And that sounds like what at that age you did, yeah, well, yeah, I was buying drugs for my doll money to sell them to continue my life, um, just to survive. Would it be fair to say you were buying, you were selling drugs so you had them around you to support your habit at the yeah, time? Yeah, yeah. it was just, yeah, it was just recreational, it was, it was. It was survival. I was in full-on survival mode. I'm not condoning. I'm not saying it's something that I would look back and go, oh, well, it's something that I had to do and I was surviving. Like, it wasn't, as far as I was concerned, harming anybody. It was a recreational drug. Um, I've only, you know, it was just, that was just so normal to me to be around it because it was just, yeah, it was just there and my life quickly spoiled out of control to the point where I was drinking to knock myself out basically yeah, just, just to sleep in my car and I thought I've got to get out of here. I chose to um my parents let me must say let me they uh, they welcomed me with open arms down to some extent. And uh, I thought okay I'll give it a go. I was gonna say how did you get out? How did you get out? So I went back to my dad's so I had a calf on um, a campsite called the Perm. Um the Perm. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah I went down and um, thought right I'm going to come down, I'm going to strike myself out. Um, so I went into Western town and tried to get a job as a barman um, and ended up being a chef for two weeks, which was, I mean, that's another story which we can talk about if you want. But basically, I'm not a chef. I never have been. Right. And um, I said I was. And uh, quickly I found out. <laughs> <laughs> that to the phone. I think the phone my mum was on mum. How do you, um, no, well, it sounds, this will sound crazy to a lot of people. How do you, at that age, I don't think I knew how to chop a tomato up properly to make it look good. Yeah. Or even lettuce. I'd yeah. rip it off and put it on Chop it into those little squares. Yeah. Or would you rip it off and put it on a plate? So that's some mark. And um it was like the biggest three days into me being on my own. The guy was like, Yeah, the chef, are you? I was like, nah. <laughs> three days in that's three days was cool. The first day I think I was throwing up from being hungover. Left the tea towel on the oven. Set that on fire. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the story first. Yeah. It was it was good while it lasted, but how long did you stay in Somerset for? Um, because I know then you then must have moved back to home at some point. No, no, I was from London to there. So I did a I did a summer in Western Supermare. I finally found a job as a barman um, and also a barber. Um, I worked in a barber's um and a bar um on the night so i was working in a bar called Re um, seven which was like a club and a bar but i was good friends with the general well the main manager so just literally drinking and working with 
bar and have a great time thinking this bar my life is yeah. great. And then ends up getting back into the old habits and <clears throat> recreational drugs um, parties. And I soon found the exact same thing that I was doing in Birmingham. And it was yeah. just like, and I, I sort of realised, but it doesn't matter where I go. No. If you want to find it, you'll find bad it. Habits bad habits are bad habits, right? I don't know. I've, I've, you know, mm-hmm. spent six years in Australia. You, you've got bad habits, so they're, they're part of you. They're, they're I mean, that thing I can't say, but the way I feel now is I don't regret being that type of person. I, I love uh, looking back and look, telling these stories and thinking, you know what, I've lived my life. And okay, to a lot of people, recreational drugs, it's bad, and I get it, bad. It, you know, people get bad habits, but people get addicted to drink, people get addicted to eating shit food, people get addicted to, to a lot of things. Anything, yeah, anything, anything in, in uh, moderation is okay, but anything that's, that then becomes a problem, you know, it's a big problem. And um, I don't think people should ever judge nobody because of the things that they choose to do for, for fun. And, um, you know, it can it can go either way with people, and I think that could that can relate to anything that you do in any walk of life. Yeah. You do so too much, you can be bad for us. That's Famous right. fucking run on treadmill. If you run all day, yeah. you know, it's gonna, gonna hurt. Man, you take you take too many That's headache you're ever gonna have. You know, it's like I think that's a quite healthy way to look at it. You know, this is me, and there was some parts of my past that I'm not massively proud of but at the same time happy and open to speak about because yeah, they're absolutely. actually part of who I am and they form who I am yeah. and my experiences regrets are completely pointless thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can't change what happened a week ago, two weeks ago, a month, years ago. It's just you can't do anything about yeah, that. It's all shape. It's, it's, it's all life lessons and I think life lessons have been probably um when my life you know, further down the line, your lessons are the most important things that you can take from your life. And I think without my lessons, um, I'm, I'm not the businessman that that I would be without being burnt. And I've been burnt hard. I've lost big, big, um, <clears throat> I've, I've built things and I've lost them because of bad decisions and lessons that have been learned meant that I'm not gonna make the decisions again unless I'm stupid, being yeah. stupid. Um, or being a bad businessman are two different things. If you're stupid, you'll make the same mistake over and over again. Being a bad businessman, well, you're not a good businessman until you've made those mistakes. So it's like, are you stupid? No, you're not. It's just mm. you've, you've, you've worked with people or you've done things that you probably shouldn't have done, but you're not going to ever know that until you've done it. I can understand that. I can understand yeah. that. It's, it's a bit of a chicken. I don't know if that made any sense. No, no, it made sense to me. I don't know if it made sense to the, the people listening, but I could kind of break it down a bit from my perspective that it's a bit of like the chicken and the egg thing. It's like you have to make the mistakes, particularly in the world of business, to learn from them. And if you don't make them, like you can get seriously burned and bit by them later on because as you grow and numbers grow and responsibilities get bigger, it's actually really um, fortuitous in a way to like learn their mistakes at the start. But you're right, there's a difference between learning and stupidity. Yeah. And just if you keep making the same mistakes again and again and not learning from them, yeah. you got to take a serious look there. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to lie, I've actually been in that position where I'm like, you've done this before and you didn't learn from it last time. Yeah. And when I've done that, I've, that's when I've found it's like, right, who can I speak to who's who's perhaps been in a similar situation, you know, even if they've been in business in some kind of way, they can give me a bit of mentoring and they're like, you know, put these, put these 
actions, these new habits, these routines, these systems is a big one, putting systems in place so that, and you know, no one's got crystal ball, can't read the future, but so you're not making these same mistakes again. So you're not getting burnt, your no. your judgment, your foresight gets better, yeah, yeah. your um, your way of um, seeing those people coming into your world that aren't going to give good value and energy to it gets better the more of them you figure out. You, it's like an insect repellent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you're in London now, so you've... So, yeah, um, I went from, so I worked as a barman in Western Super Mayor, and then um, that's quickly got boring because in the summer season, it's lively, it's happening, and there's loads of people there on holidays, and have a great time. And, um, and then when that summer season ends, all the buses stop. There's no bar, there's no yeah. one about them. Holiday, big holiday time. So I'm like, no wonder everyone's like, literally, they bored out the graves. And, you know, I was just like, this isn't for me. So um, I met a lad who was from London and um, he was moving back and he knew quite a lot of people because he was in the, uh, I think he was like, he worked in retail. Like, he got himself high up in like Paul Smith and a few places. We had some good, some good links. And I thought, well, he asked me to come down with him and um, I packed a bag. I left just like that. I said to my mum, Dad, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to London. <laughs> so I went from West to Super Mayor, down to the big smoke. And, um, what a Yeah, so I went from Birmingham to London. And I, look, I went to Lutz for um, a role as a hairdresser. Or, I think it was a hairdresser then, so I wasn't even thinking about being a barber um, at that point. So I went down to London and um, he knew a lot of people in Southridges on Oxford Street and I went and met a lady called Alice who was the manager of Mastercuts in the male grooming department of Regis International, which is at the time... Um, Regis, the hotel chain? No, 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 Regis was the big hair um, big hair company, Regis International. They had, yeah. they had, they had salons all over yeah. the world. I just in the brand somewhere. Yeah, 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 Regis was big. But now if I say Regis and there's a lot of them care or something, I've heard of them. They're mm. very, they've lost a lot. But we've still got products here, that's what I'm saying. They've still got Regis salons, to be fair, but they're nowhere near as big as they was. Um, so yeah, I went in there, the male grooming department, and um, somehow got the job as a as a barber working for Regis in Massacre on Oxford Street at the age of 19. I was like, what the fuck? Completely blanked And um I think it was like about four or five months later, I became a master barber for them. Um, so Richard came, gave me a big confidence boost. Yeah. I think you're actually fucking decent at this because I've not done one day in college. Oh, so, so you haven't done any, you I didn't do any coming back, back to like, how right. did you learn? I learned, yeah. I started cutting hair on my dad in my back garden. You cut your hair on Yeah, yeah, I was cutting my dad's, my first haircut was on my dad and um, in my back garden. I cut my school friends' hairs. They got suspended from school, there were lines in the right bars and like that. <laughs> There's a picture of us that was taken with a Polaroid on the on the top of the school bus going to school or coming back from school. There's a couple of lads like and they've literally got big massive slits in their eyebrows and yeah, I was uh, I done that. So that's where I started to learn how to be a barber. I've not done one day in college, which okay. is crazy now because it's only only Tuesday last week I was teaching tutors and assessors who train students in barbering so i trained the assessors last week in solid Hill college which is absolutely mental so when they asked me where we're trained and i told them in the back garden it's like they just think you're fine yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah
in my back pocket. Yeah, to be honest. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you anyone. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, that's where I learned just cutting back. And then, yeah, so then London, Master Cuts, Master Barbering, Wraith, thinking wicked, this is, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm in London. And in London, there's a big, massive techno scene. Massive. I found myself in a toilet yeah. underground, which literally a toilet called the toilet, and it was an underground techno club full of Portuguese, Spanish, and Italians, and like techno music pumping. I was like, "This is unreal!" Yeah. I was like, "This is unreal." So then the cycle started again, where I was like, "The wrong things," or say the wrong thing. I'm not going to say it's the wrong thing. Mm. I love music. I love music. The naughty things, I think, we could say. I love, I love the escapism, I guess. I love the direction. I love the, uh, I love the party. I love meeting people. I love dancing. I love yeah, forgetting yeah. about my life for 24 hours or 48 hours. <laughs> 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 that's how long the party is, yeah. <laughs> escapism, man. That's what, yeah, that's yeah, the way I look at so, it as well. So do I, you know, am I looking for it? Yes, I am. Does it fall away? Yes, it does. And I'm, you know, do I care? No, don't. Mm. I think you know these these people that that judge people for living that life probably are a little bit jealous because they've probably settled too soon. Or I'm not knocking anybody who does that. But like, I would want to look back when I'm 16 and go, I'm fucking glad I've done it. Well, you embraced it though, and you, and you took it. Yeah. It you know what you resist persists, right? You could look at that and go, oh, you know, I keep like I'm, I'm in this world, but you know, it's like I kind of like it, but other people say it's not cool and what I should be doing, I should be focusing on this and that's what that's that's your opinion and this is my life. They're two completely different things. And you know, later we'll get into you know like what what where you're at now and how you got involved in events and, and club ownership and, and like you embraced it to the point you're like, no, I love this and actually I want to be part of this on a bigger scale. So it's having the passion so Music is obviously always in my in my bones, like my parents have all my mum like always playing music and reggae music and reggae, yeah. It doesn't matter what music is if I like it. Even country music, oh, I don't mind anything. If I like the sound of it, I'll put it on. So my you know, my Spotify is probably most of the time confused, thinking yeah. what you know, what does he <laughs> what like, like today? Yeah, because you know they they yeah. recognise what you might like. Yeah, yeah. Mine ain't that fucking clear. Well, I say when people ask me what music you like, I say anything that sounds good. Yeah. Anything that sounds good, and it can be literally anything. But yeah. I think there's always um you know, like a common friend of ours, Carl Carl McGorry, Mr. Maximus. Yeah. Um like it, reggae, it, it, he told me a lot about reggae. So let me say, but there's a lot. It's it's hard to grow up in Birmingham and not hear a fair bit of reggae. Like influences like UB40, and and then like the. I think a lot of my a lot of my sort of. Um, so I've got a lot of friends, and they're like. How do you even know the words? I'm a girlfriend as well. So she's sort of like old track. Yeah, she's like what the, she can't believe like any track that comes on could be a memoir. One and the other day, I was in Perifino's, and it was a beautiful South track. I mean, it wasn't reggae, but it was an old track, beautiful South. Um, and I knew all the words, and like, I don't know them words, but obviously I've listened to it yeah. when I'm a kid. Um, yeah. And like, it's just, uh, it doesn't matter what it is, if I like it, I like yeah. it. it matter, on, the, on the flip side to that, I'm, I'm going to go, like, my mum always used to play Madonna, the Immaculate Collection, to the point where the neighbours would complain. Yeah. Um, and I know every word to every track of the album yeah. so it's what you do when you hear them things when you're young yeah. 
and that's actually that plays out a lot even to like the music you hear the things you remember the habits your parents have that you pick up subconsciously um and even like the food that you eat and stuff like that you pick up a, you pick up a, some things are taught some things are caught it's all related it's all related so yeah i was in london and techno became a big part of my life um i actually moved back to birmingham on a transfer for the same company i could have gone anywhere in the world like we just was that big australia like anywhere and there was a, a job as a master barber in birmingham in the in Lebanon for the same company and i chose to do that and i always look back and I think if i chose australia or if I chose, where would i be now like another mm. You know, my path was my path and I think that path is already said and done it's you know it's, I think when you, you you either regret it or like you just think well that was meant to be and I do believe now looking back that was meant to be because yeah. um, it led me into um, probably a path that if I wasn't in Birmingham wouldn't have gone down and that path was the path that led me to to getting a six-year sentence um, right interesting uh, if i wasn't in birmingham would it would have happened yeah. if that six, six, six years something wouldn't have happened yeah. the dog has been what it is and um mm. i think everything that well, it probably to... wouldn't exist i think it's first or definitely pull the dog out so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, i'm a believer in and i don't know what you think about this that like i adjusted my thinking in the past probably two or three years to like things happened that happened to you that happened for you yeah, yeah. like no victim mindset mentality like things happen for you mm. and the shift to that for me was really healthy yeah. um and you know things happen that you know are, are bad good indifferent but and you don't understand it at the time mm. but many months years time later you're like yeah. i get it yeah. i get what happened to me to teach me this lesson perhaps it goes back to maybe some of the things we said earlier outside of business you know you keep making the same mistakes uh, and the universe, God, Buddha, whatever you know, you dive into is like this is a lesson you need to learn. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and we're going to put you out know, in a real harsh way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Take what you will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so, so I mean, that, you mentioned it, but six years since. Yeah. We'd have to go into why, how that happened, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean it was a uh, another uh, you know risk. Uh, the, the, the risk that I took wasn't for me to live a life of anything other than just to survive. And like at that point, um, I was still, I mean, I moved back from London, I was living in B&Bs, I was living in bed sits, I was still no further along in my life. And um, I just, I knew a lot of people, it was always like accessible to me. And I was always around like recreational drugs, it's just always been a part, so I've never seen the bad side of it. Like there's a very, there's a dark side of it. I know that there's a when we talk about anything that we do in our lives, there's a dark side to alcoholism, there's a dark side to everything. Yeah. I'm not going to glorify it, but I'm not going um, to... Do it. Yeah, I'm just going to say, look, it is, I am the way I am. And people that do the things that we do, we all know, um, we know what we're getting into. Yeah. Like, you know, it's the same as, as, as going out for a drink. It's like, mm-hmm. it is what it is um and yeah like a big risk um wasn't even like for a long time either it's probably like a couple of weeks and i just ended up getting dragged into a, a 28 man conspiracy for probably i did probably one one thing out of that out of that two weeks uh, i arranged 
a certain product and got it for a certain price and I, I passed it on for a little bit more. That's it. Yeah. You know, I didn't even touch it. It was just a part of the Europe. Mm, yeah, part of the biggest yeah. scheme that they already had. I was yeah, probably got yeah, a long time. Yeah. Um, so, in essence, it was I got I got fucked over by the system, but I was still involved mm. in that. You know, in the whole conspiracy, but the the actual system was so corrupt and so fucked away to the point where they actually said to me, "Look, we know what you've been doing." And actually got me out myself more than once and said, Just tell us who they are, we'll let you out. We know you. We know and how long, what the hell have you been in there at that point? It was just pretty, pretty early on. This is okay. before you get to it. So, serious organised crimes. Like this was this is like, yeah. I'm in a serious shit. Um, so, soccer telling me, You're looking at Jay, you're looking at 12 to 14 years. Like, tell us who the big man are. So, listen. I can do 20 years, I'm still not on the tail. I'm, I'm fucking, listen, I'm grouping, I'm a council boy, I'm no grass, blah, 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 blah. Okay, cool. So they actually said to me, look, we know what you've been doing. So I'm thinking, we know what I've been doing. It's just fucking, it's not a lot really. Like I've done this, I've said that, yeah. passed it on and, and took a little bit of money. Um, well, yeah, they were just um, trying to get what they could out of me and I'm full well, the conspiracy element of anybody's charges is going to add an extra extra few years on to it which but you know what it was um it was an experience being in the ring that's one way to do it I, uh, and did you spend the whole time no, 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 I was to, to move you around with 13 that. months on remand and then we did so I got put on a retaining so that I really got on with the gym staff which sounds mad you got on with the gym staff but they were wicked man and I think if you get on with the gym stuff, you get on with the inmates, you get on in prison. Like, if you're a dickhead, you're a dickhead. If you get into fights, you get into fights in prison. I've heard people said that before. Yeah, yeah. Like I walk around my head up. Walk around my head up. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not afraid, really, of um, confrontation. I won't look for it. Mm -hmm. um, if it happens, people will soon know that I won't back down. Yeah. I'll always try and defuse. Like, yeah. I'll never think, well, fuck it. Let's. I used to be like that, actually, when I was a, as a kid. But you grow up a little bit and... Um, yeah, in prison, you just need to get on. You just get on, do your time, and um, and try and keep moving forward. Um, yeah, you know, some seen some mad things in there, some crazy things that you'll never see. Hopefully, uh, I, hope, I, mean, I, hope I hope you never see them. <laughs> when I say like it's, um, it's you know, it's, I'm not saying it's fucking great, but like you know, you, you have a laugh in there. You, you see stuff, and it's all part of my, you know, my. Um, you know, personally, journey. my journey, yeah. yeah. My, and with that journey, would I be the type of person I am? Would I, you know, be in the situation that I'm in? And, and I'm not saying, you know, without that situation, without that prison time, would I have sat back and thought, where the fuck are you going? What are you doing? Like, and that's it, isn't it? What do you and, that, and that's something I've really been really interested to talk to you about because mm. you're not the only one of our, uh, our friendship group, Wider Circle, um, that's mm. that's. Spend some time being tied, mm -hmm. um, and outside of that, you know, I, I know people, family, friends that haven't. Some people use that time to to do what you just said, like where am I going, and like who's going with me, what well, I'm actually, where I'm actually heading in my life, and mm -hmm. you know, the, the recidivism, recidivism rate in the UK is like over seventy five percent of people yeah. who I did have that on my notes, quite so yeah, over seventy five percent now. Men or women who get locked up within nine years, they're back in, you know, and then Absolutely. it's over 39% in less than uh, a couple of years. 
So it's like, what, 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 what was it in you that decided you weren't going to become a part of that statistic? And then how did you make sure it didn't happen? I think it was, um, I mean, I, I wasn't actively selling drugs. I wasn't like a drug dealer. I wasn't mm. like, because, like, if I was in that life, that's all the life I would know. Right. So I grew up in, I'm, I'm a council boy and I've always, I've done illegal stuff with me. Like, illegal as in like drive a car without a license. Yeah, yeah. Just like every day. I've probably the law every fucking day of my life. Yeah. Probably still didn't know me, Jake. I'm a responsible business owner. I'm just going to move his life. You can't deny it. I'm moving that out to him, but I'm not right, my phone. Yeah, so like, I forgot where it was then. You're saying that, you know, you weren't a drug dealer yeah, per se. Yeah, you, you were probably just one. I can help you out. You know, I can help you out. I knew a lot of people. I knew somebody that used to get around. Just, I didn't think he was that bad. Like, and now, you know, to the wrong pit, to the, to, to, yeah, at least I'm not condoning it. And it's hard for me to talk about it without, I'm not glorifying it, but um, it is what it is. I understand it, I understand it. Touch me or understand me. I was surviving and it was mm. always like, right, I'm fucking, I'm in a situation. No, and again, it's like, don't, I'm not getting the violin there, but it's like, right, I need to survive. And I, I was in a situation where it's like, I've got to do what I've got to do. I'm not here to survive. And I would say it every single time, like, I'm not saying I'm stupid and I'll go back and do this, mm. but I'm not here to I'm not here to struggle. No. You know, and like, life is a struggle and they want us to struggle, I feel. I'm not going to go into all that now because, um, that would be a bit hard on the show. It would be really hard on the show if you start talking about it. If we can do that as well. We talk about the government and the fucking world. We need more fucking bad like that. So, like, so it is what it is. I don't want people to judge me until they understand me and why. And not even why, just like, you know, it is what it is. I understand it. I've been led astray to the legal things too. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, you know, there's a a dark side to it. It depends on the, the level of product that, that you're associating yourself with, what you're doing, and that really does deeply ruin people's lives. Yeah. And then there's this other side to it. It's like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm assisting the party here. I'm assisting the good times. I'm just yeah, like, I'm actually say that to the judge. I'm going to say. Wonder if we've got your lesser sentence. A good time, judge. Yeah. All I want to do. All I want to do. I'll just yeah. have a good time. Yeah. And um, but no, it's um, but. But in, in going to talk about it on a serious level, like I hit rock bottom in prison, rock bottom. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. You, 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 were in, you did six years, yeah. So how far in? No, no, you, know, you do half. So I served half. Sorry, that was what they said to you, yeah. So, so being at rock bottom, um, if you've never been there, you don't really see like a way out of it. But like it's, I've had, I could honestly say I've been at rock bottom more than once now. Because something that happened further down in my life, um, but unless you've ever been to rock bottom, you can never really comment on it or judge on it um, to the way that somebody has to then rebuild themselves. And it wasn't until um, I got sentenced, um, where I think it was in myself like three days, because I was just like, fuck, because I didn't think I was going to get that long. So we were off remand, did the man, man, yeah. 13 months and I got sentenced, and then I did another 18, I think it was something like after that. Um, I can't remember the month, but I actually looked in the mirror, in my little prison mirror, little square mirror above my sink, and it was three days after literally sitting myself, fucking like thinking, what the fuck, I've got to do what I've done again, plus more. 
Yeah. I'd already done 13 months. Yeah, I already yeah. found it hard enough, yeah. And um, I remember looking in the mirror and I was just, I just said to myself, literally looked in my own eyes and said, come on, you can fucking do this. And I never looked back. And um, I walked out of my cell, cracked on. And I thought, fucking, like, that is the strength that you need to, like, for anything in life. Like, if you get knocked down in anything, like, let's just say you, you know, the things that happened to people in these last two years with COVID and your businesses that you've built. I mean, I, I was in tears with a taxi driver on New Year's Eve I'd never met before because he'd lost his businesses. He's now a taxi driver on New Year's Eve. And, like, he's at rock bottom then. Yeah. Like, he's crying to me. I'm like, unless you've been there, you can't really understand or comment, you know what I mean? So, um, so yeah, fucking from that day then, when I walked out of my cell, I was like, never looked back. And it was then starting to rebuild and think, right, how am I going to make sure I don't come back to that fucking situation? Yeah. And that's when I started to plan my um, barbering dream. Your future. Yeah, the future of dog was was started. Enough. I, I, I haven't got the book anymore because I've, I've moved thousands of times. But only in the last few years I've lost it and there's actually a sketchbook with the Doghouse logos in it and I don't think we've mentioned the Doghouse yet over on here, but like no. the Doghouse is basically the brand of, We said that that's where we were, but we yeah, haven't. Yeah, so the Barbering um, concept that I come up with, the Doghouse, nothing to do with prison. Um, it's just to do with the fact that I'm always in the doghouse. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose, I mean, is it like you were in the doghouse when you created it? Yeah. So was it a bit of a like a bit of a play on that. It's like, hey, but that's where you put me, but that's not no, where I, I am. Um, so the saying goes, like, if you're in the doghouse, like as a man, yeah. you're in the doghouse with your wife, you yeah, 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 yeah. and yeah. if you're sitting in the doghouse waiting for a haircut, you're in the doghouse. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Somebody actually, well, only to this guy got a phone call, uh, his mate or somebody going, where are you going? I'm in the doghouse. And his mate must say, what you done? No, 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 I'm waiting for a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it works, it works. Yeah, 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 I've got it right. Yeah, yeah. So, so you made your plan and you wrote a book and, and, and perhaps even like, did you make, um, one thing I like to do is a, like a vision board, you know, like a yeah. vision board, you write down, brainstorming. So Richard, the original plans was like DJs because I love music, but to techno music or not techno, just any music. Yeah. Um, DJs and an actual plan, the actual Floor plan was the wild green store. Yeah, it was. Yeah, DJs, the booth. I was actually going to get urban art going in there, but I never had anything big enough. Like the wild green store was big, but this is like where we are now is big enough yeah. to have. But we've moved on from urban. We're now into a, a wellness. We were, yeah, wellness. I know. I can't wait to get onto that. But we were. <laughs> but we're. Uh, you know, as you can tell, we're getting pretty fresh here, fresh trim, thanks, yeah. Um, we were talking about it just before. Six weeks of eight week plan I got given. That's what happens when you get excited, fella. Um, but I was talking about how you know the Walgreens store I went, I actually never went to numbers, yeah. which was the first one. Yeah. But um, went to Walgreens store and I was like, I, I get this, you know, as someone who's like, and I, you know, I've been involved in running my own clubhouse events, promotions, and I'm like, this is somewhere in between, like. A club and a and a barbershop yeah. and I could, it had all the old like the, like the wallpaper was it's lots of different flyers. It's still still there, yeah, yeah. You said you're gonna give me a We might have to check it out later, I reckon. I can yeah. give me a give me a tour of that place. But yeah, it was um locations I feel like a key. You know, this this here is a really good location in terms of passing trade, yeah. in terms of bars and business. Like lessons 
I've always had barber shops, apart from Wild Green, like the Lambeth Store, Tamworth. Um, they were in bad locations, and it was always like a. This is when I learned how to market on social media. This is what taught me how to become a marketing manager for myself, I guess. But I don't know. Um, I've never done any training on it, but there's actually, um, you know, I'm, I'm learning then. For somebody that's not done too well at school, like it's taught me a lot of how to target my customers yeah. without them passing it up because they're all hidden. Well, green's still hidden. Like it's in a substation, it's in a yeah. fucking gas station. So you, you walk past you think it's closed. Yeah. Right? Oh, I was in there at six in the morning. And like, no yeah. one even knows you're in there. <laughs> <laughs> what made you say, so you just said that they were bad locations, what made you say they were bad? Bad because they're not in the, in the view. Like you wouldn't pass them. And as a foot, looking like in the modern barbering, in a, in a modern man now, you already know where you go. You don't think there's a barber pole. Well, the internet helps with that. Yeah, so I'd say there's 10% of the, the barbershop trade is passing trade, 10%. The rest is a modern man who knows exactly where he's going. But that views, Booksy, Instagram, like they're, they're already booked in, already know. You get your Turkish barber, get your passing trade, and it's just literally big, big on your no, I get what you're saying, and that's and I've seen that change just from not being in the barbering world at all. But you know, it went from like salons and hairdressers, and then barbering came. And I'm really interested to like get into that why it came back and how. But um, it came back to barbershops, and people were aware, men, you know, were aware that that's you know, young boys, men, whatever, were aware. Are oh, you going to get to the barbershop now? But it's just like the one that you pass. It my wasn't modern, like it took modern, a while for reviews and that to grow and, and, and social media and that to get hold. I think the modern barbering um, scene, like, or it exploded, didn't it? Exploded, but I'm a modern barber because I'm a hairdresser and a barber and a UK right. man. Like, you want the scissors and a yeah. blade, yeah. Or um, so with, without being able to do both. You can't compete or keep up with the, the modern game. And that's where I was ahead of the game. So I got myself into a position where I was traveling all over Europe doing seminars and shows yeah. because of my modern barbering techniques and methods, which then became, you know, I was teaching people, I was going and doing, you know, ended up, you know, doing my first ever competition, winning the British Barber of the Year title, which is for me the biggest thing I've ever achieved. Um, was that intentional? Was that part of the plan? I've never entered any competitions. No. Just, just came to you. I started my business, um, Doghouse, I got out of prison in 2012. Doghouse, the first Doghouse shop opened in 2013. So we had, so within six months, I was in the basement barbers, only because I got sacked from Kings. Thank you. It's, it's yeah, good though, yeah. Thank you. It's sacked because I've been to prison, I know for a fact. Yeah, yeah,
then customers. I think I think I've got three on. I think so. I think so. Back then, I was, I understand, I'd be heading, but I knew I was way ahead of the game. So, like now, I know for a fact there's, there's thousands of other great barbers out there. Yeah. So, it, it means that things are saturated. Yeah. That's why I end up moving on to, to what I've moved on to Diverse Creative, yeah. which mm. is a completely different. Um, it's a whole different concept. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of ego, though, and I think a lot of people talk about ego and they demonize it, but I think to be successful and to take risks that other people won't, and to put your hand up and go, hey, look, I'm, I'm a master of my craft here, and I'm fairly good at this. I've been doing this for quite a while now, and I know I'm good based on what people tell me back. I've done it for a lot of people. I think ego can be a healthy thing, but it's not, not, not to the point of, like, you've been a dickhead about it, but to the point of, well, yeah, um, it gives me good self-esteem, it gives me confidence, yeah. and that helps push me forward in yeah. the I guess it was more for me, like I, I very rarely blow my own trumpet, I can very rarely take, um, I think of the word now, like people saying that I'm good or what's the word I'm looking for. People's like, uh, uh, I want to use a criticism, but that's usually a negative thing. Um, people's... So um, flattering, like... Um, flattering, yeah. Oh, I can't but yeah, I don't really, um, I don't take well to people. Um, I can't fucking think of that word, man. The <laughs> word is whoa. Um, when people give you just compliments, compliments, oh, man. Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, compliments. shout out to Jigger Wayne Johnson watching and the bearded brother. That's a good name, for that. yeah. So, compliments, I don't feel well with, but. Um, so me getting compliments about being a good barber or how far I've took things and what I've done, yeah, great. But the real things that I care about is then using that knowledge and turning that into into me passing it on to somebody like me when I was younger, and that's where the reach out project come in. And um, that is, yeah, that's that's a really good little, as I call, a segue. You know, when you made the plan there, when when you were locked up, was it? Was it just like, I want to start a barbershop and then I want it to be a chain and then I want to train other people? Or? I don't think that was ever the plan. No. I think the plan was just to have a barbershop. Just have thought, a barbershop. I don't yeah. think I ever thought then, I want to create a completely new scene with the barbering industry. But I knew my plan or what I wanted, the concept had never been done. Like 2013, I had DJs, I had games consoles, I had um, arcade machines and um, actually, like everything that I'd done, I couldn't have done without my old partner John O'Reilly. Like, couldn't have done it. He was one of my customers, one of my friends, to be fair. Um, we became a customer and then we got talking. I think he just sold a car or something. He was like, right, fuck you, let's just do it. Yeah. And we went for it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Without, without that financial input from John, yeah. um, the dog guys wouldn't have been able to get started so soon. Yeah. So, no, I appreciate that. Um, you know, there's without the financial push, yeah, I probably couldn't have jumped. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I wasn't, I've just got out of prison, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the banks aren't, <laughs> the banks aren't, yeah. you, you try to go to a bank, you just got a prison. Yeah. Yeah, so, what do you do? I think I set up the basement bar with yeah. my bike, which was at my nan's, um, was a uh, bike, was it? I can't remember, a trick, maybe, can't remember, sold it for like. 
700 pound. It was a good bike, so it was still worth bike, good yeah. on it. And this was like three years on. Yeah. Um, so I sold it for 700 pounds, and that got my shop well, decorated. And, and the chairs cost me like 80 quid each. Got a PlayStation on the wall. Better get you one of those chairs with something, don't you? For that now these days, but yeah, so started on a shoestring. Um, but I'd already established the fact that people were having a beer okay. waiting, a PlayStation on the wall. It was only the base, it was tiny, yeah. um, but people were still fucking talking about it. Yeah. Like it went to the point where people queuing up the stairs, and I was working busier than the salon that had been there for 10 years. And they were actually getting a bit like, you know, Joe, we've got to close, yeah, because you're getting in the way of your salon, but so wait then was that that place that venue was that the same venue that then became like no, 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 it was close by that wasn't no, it was salon yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah and so we so we touched on there like um you know this desire to want to teach and i firmly believe and i've learned this along my journey in, in business and entrepreneurship and I've, I've lots of businesses and ventures i've tried that haven't haven't worked mm-hmm. um and thankfully some that have <laughs> we do I wasn't me to, you know, live a lifestyle that I do now, but like I found that when you help other, when you lend a, a fair bit of your time to helping other people um, and teaching them the lessons that you've taught, because success leaves clues, yeah. Success leaves clues. So it's like if you can find someone that's in your industry or that just has the same mindset or wants to do the same thing as you, um, and you can dive into them and get a bit of learning off them, it'll help you so many leaps and bounds, and you'll stop. It'll save you from making so many. Uh, mistake and but also as being a teacher it's very fulfilling it charges your batteries back then so like when was it what was the point where you were like because i know you've got we're in doghouse now there's a whole doghouse academy actually which is like another side to it so um so as part of the, of, of the doghouse academy we started a, a charity called the reach out project which was set up to train young offenders ex-offenders and give them um basically the basics and yeah, to, into the modern barbering world. And part of that project was for me to go in and talk about me and my past, yeah. um, which gets them engaged. And because if you go in and assume and you're talking about something like, who's this dickhead? Yeah, yeah. You go in there and you Especially just sit down with them and say, look, lads, I've sat in your seat. Mm. I've been there. <clears throat> um, probably for longer than a lot of you have. Um, so I've travelled here, I've done that as a barber, which doesn't mean that you can't do it. Do you know what I mean? Shout out if you fucking want to do that. Yeah, so that I agree, yeah. Yeah, so we've got, we got a grant from the National Lottery Awards for All, and um, we did our first course in the academy in the city centre, and um, we trained a few, few young offenders, and hopefully got a few of them. I definitely got one um, off the path, because he got released from prison to come and be mentored by me. Um, oh, really? IPP, yeah, yeah. Didn't left know things like that happened. Yeah, he was on an IPP in probation. He was a London lad. And um, obviously had to move to Birmingham, couldn't go back to London. Yeah. And um, yeah, he got released and um, got him his equipment and um, put him on a, a better path. Yeah. Which, which is far more fulfilling than, than any money or any anything I've ever done. Like, it's great when British part of the year, but changing somebody's life. Making a difference, yeah, like a proper difference, difference yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and an impact yeah. that, like, that's mm-hmm. something that, you know, you've made an impact on on that young man's life, and that's he's younger than you to start with, mm-hmm. so who knows what he's going to go on to achieve. And yeah. also, like, you've contributed there, given something to, to someone who's bigger than you, you know, what I mean? bigger than you, long, longer term. That's it. And then I know you did, you've done a lot of like, um, 
train in, in a different way where it's a one-to-many environment where you're kind of on the stage and you're obviously with, with the mic on and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah, yeah, a little bit more about that. Big seminars, I've done uh, big hair shows. I think from winning the British Barrier title, um, opened up a lot of doors mm. in, the, in the barbering industry. So I was literally traveling around. I worked as a, an educator for the British Barbers Association. Um, I was an educator for the Great British Barber Bash. We traveled everywhere, Amsterdam, in Berlin, literally every city in the UK I think I've done a show in. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it, I think the education is something that I, I enjoy a lot more now because of what you get from it. Um, so I still love cutting hair. I mean, I love uh, I love what I do, otherwise I probably still would be doing it after um, it's like 18 years now, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if I didn't um, have a passion for it, um, then yeah, I doubt I'd still be doing it now. Yeah, but it's 18 years, it's a long time. This, this, so the, the furthest number around that it, it takes uh, 10,000 hours to become a master of your craft, which is about four years with holidays, give or take, which yeah. is about an apprenticeship year yeah. in anything, yeah. or like a long university course, and I think that's about right. Yeah. So it's like you become at this point where you're a master of it mm-hmm. and yeah no, you, you still enjoy it data we were talking about this earlier when i was in the chair but it's like you're hungry what's next you know like um i'm still enjoying this but if i'm honest with myself really if i look at that man in the mirror not as much as i used to and and what's what's next you know how can i elevate to, to the next level and like then and then here we are i mean look, look, let, let's well, we'll go back to it because like 2018, it wasn't your first shot of being Barbara of the Year, was it? It was your second, you yes, got to the semis the year semis before. Made mistakes, not with the haircuts, but with the models that I picked, and I learned. Oh, I didn't know you, you get to pick the models as well. I picked the models, yeah, okay. yeah. So then I learned, like, it's, it's not about the actual haircut, it's about the look as well. So yeah. a year later, I entered again and um, got back to the finals and had better models. I actually picked the, so I was the first one to win with a female model, um, which oh, sounds mad for a barbering competition, yeah. but. Um, it was sort of short style, short or cut, something yeah. creative, and yeah. something for um, for a magazine cover. Yeah. Um, so yeah, got I planned the hair, I planned the hairstyle, and uh, yeah, um, smashed it. And that's why I mean, four off thousand people applied for that. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's mm-hmm. it's no, it's it, it's a big feat to come semi the first year, yeah, and then to come final like winner the next year. Yeah, yeah. But to also. To go like to not be knocked back by the fact that ah like, mm-hmm. uh, so a lot of people go look I gave it a try maybe I just move on to something else maybe it wasn't for me maybe there's someone in the back there that just yeah. X Y Z doesn't want me whatever mm-hmm. um, but hey you persisted and you, and you pushed forward and you, and you came through and that's open doors for you yeah because that's yeah, not the big that's the highest accolade you can reach you, you get yeah, England or Scotland Wales so I don't think it's not a big one and that um, so yeah massive achievement yeah. You know, like yeah, it's something that I'm proud of. I'm glad that my, um, you know, my dad and you know my mom was, you know, sad my dad because of, you know, him passing away recently. I'm glad he got to see that side because obviously he saw, he saw the, the, the bad in me. He saw, he saw the, the dark. Yeah, you know the, I mean? the bit. Yeah, but then the he saw the young, and then he saw yeah, the young. Yeah. Now he saw yeah. me rebuild and you know become the, yeah. the man that I am. So I thought, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, so you, yeah, you, you yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. Yeah, we have had uh, we are we are on our we are on our second week, but that's fine. I'm sure everyone will be happy to wait. I'll um sing a song. Sing a song of six months. Gregory Winnard.
Thanks for joining us and thanks for your love. If any of you lot have got any questions that you want to ask Jay or just anything you want to say, this is live in these comments. I'll go through to us about 10 seconds after you type them in. So feel free, feel free to ask away. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put Jay in the hot seat after he comes back because I need this one as well. <clears throat> Hold on, guys, we'll be back. The bearded brother, you're obviously from Birmingham. Wayne, I know you, brother, you're obviously from Birmingham. Gregory Winnard, where are you from, son? Tell us. Let us know. Let us know. Woo! It's nice to enjoy a relaxed, more relaxed pace with the podcast. It's something I've been aligning with a bit more lately. Since people keep telling me to slow down, I'm not quite, quite sure how to slow down. But Sorry about that. That's all right. So I'll be quicker than him, bro. Had <laughs> <laughs> to find it. <laughs> Can't find it, right? Yeah. Yes, Greg. So, uh, well, we were talking about 2018. You got the barber in award, but at this point, how many, how many, how many barbers shops have you got? Um, yeah, this was um, for us. I already had the Dugout Barber Shop brand for that quick mass five years. Um, so there was four barber shops, and. Um, yeah, things were flying, man. Things were good. Um, a few business partner problems. Um, sure, I'll go into, but you know, it's uh, you know, it's, it's lessons, it's learning. I think the, the first, no, well, without the business partners, I wouldn't have got the financial push. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know, yeah. I think, um, certainly with the second business partners that were coming in as business men. They were they were a different kettle of fish. They literally, I don't know what happened or what what they said they were going to do to what they actually did. It's completely different. Like, um, long story short, I had to get rid of them. Um, I had to get away from from them, <clears throat> which meant getting rid of a couple of stores, um, a couple of stores. Um, but it meant stripping back. And um, focusing on some, you know, one to then move forward with the vision and um, <coughs> stick to the the Walgreens store, the store that really was the you know the doghouse concept, yeah. and you know yeah. keep that for a Because the same, I get one of the same where focus goes, energy flows, and I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like you're a person like me sometimes. Like you, you like to have lots of things going on and busy, but you know you had. A lot, a lot of shops there. And the height was it? The most was it four shops? Was it you had? No, it was four. It was four, four. But that's still enough for anyone to manage, yeah, as well as you were still cutting hair full time. Yeah, yeah cutting hair, yeah. you know, trying to um, 
at that point as well. I was still throwing like, like I was always involved in promoting. I think it's yeah. something I've always done. I think knowing people and knowing, you know, getting on with people and doing the you know, loving music and wanting to throw pies. Always been something that I've wanted. Wanting to give people a good time, you could yeah, say. Yeah, a good yeah. time. Yeah. Again, I was going to say that to the judge, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I held it back. But yeah, it was there. I wanted to, um, I don't know, it's like passion and love music. I love, yeah. you know, we're just barbering um, and the, the, the weekends are uh, hand in hand. I just yeah. always a sociable part yeah. of life. So, the thing, the thing I liked about throwing my club lots and being a promoter for the ones is I just like bringing people together, yeah. you know, and that's essentially what you do when you're running yeah. your own event, uh, brands, things like that. I think the so from being a barber led me to working in Berlin, um, as a guest, which ended up staying a bit longer. <clears throat> so, I was, in a, I was in a position where I didn't have to come back to the business, I could leave it, so oh, I stayed. Yeah. Um, and obviously, Berlin's the, the home there. The mecca of techno, yeah. Sure. This is unreal. So I was like, I'm not coming back for a, for a bit longer. So I stayed yeah. and I found, this is where I found the sound of, um, it's not even big in Berlin either. It's, a, it's called Criminal Baseline. There's a guy called Mark Buck who was the, the founder of this this sound. And um, when I was there, I was asking people, oh, where's Mark Buck? Where's Mark Buck? Where's Mark Buck? Turns out it's a new sound, even in Berlin, it's a new, it's a new genre. Um, so when I come back to Birmingham, I was, I was actually at a party in my own barbershop in the Gaga, so I left the party actually. And um, I messaged my book on Facebook about six in the morning, and they replied and got chatting. I was like, I want to bring you to the UK, I want, you know, I want to showcase this sound. And, um, Made it happen. That's where they said Berlin was was founded. Uh, that's where the real sort of club promoting and the, the events, you know, the, the brand driving really started for me. The, the you know creating brands and, and bringing people together, bringing DJs from abroad and showcasing sounds and letting people you know experience different genres from different parts of the world or. You know, even from the techno spectrum, there's, there's loads of different variations. And I think um, it was just nice to be able to to do something that I said I was going to do. Probably a lot of people at that party thought, oh, right. just yeah, right. especially six in the morning. Yeah. A lot of things at six <laughs> in the morning. Yeah, I'm just like, well, I'm going to bring my doctor. I'm actually um, thanking uh, one of the lads I do the kitchen after party with. I'm pretty sure I said to thanking, I'm going to bring my book to Birmingham. And I don't know if you believe me, but obviously it happened. And yeah. I brought them DJs to Birmingham with this new sound. And the reason I'd done that, not because it was new, and I thought, I'm going to try it in the, I'm going to try it in the UK. I knew it would work. It was fancy, vocals in it, and being a music man, being somebody involved with the scene. I've never made music, but I know good music. I'm not a good As a DJ now, like, um, I've always, before I actually, you know, pushed myself as a DJ, I was always involved in, in the pies. I'd always be the one putting the, I'd always find the music to make people fucking up. Like, and I could see the reactions, and that's when I thought, right, I need to actually learn to to do this on the decks and and get the confidence yeah. to do it at clubs and, and that's when i started probably like three years ago now as an actual dj um 
again, it's not something I'm doing or pushed for money. It's just something that I want to do because I love it. Yeah. And I think when, when you do something because you love it, it's a completely different yeah. experience. Yeah. Like, I, don't, I don't need to, to do it. I do it because I want to do it. Like, and, I, and I know that what I do as a DJ and the music that I play is not for everybody, but, you know, if I'm playing everything, if I'm playing the music that everybody wants or everybody's got, it means that I'm just a, another DJ that's never going to get probably anywhere out of Birmingham or wherever they're playing or no disrespect to them. But I I know my sound um, and once people listen to it, they'll love it. Yeah. And, and that's what happens with the events. They said Berlin, we book DJs and um, headliners from Germany. No one's ever heard of. No one. They've got about fucking 300 followers, which is mad because we're still selling like, you know, we did it in the middle, I think 1,500 people in one of the events. Yeah. With the mod book of Daniel Jagger. No one's heard of them here. But they're slowly building this new sound. And, and um, Criminal Bison. Yeah. I was glad to be a part of that at the start of that because there's nowhere else in the UK that's playing that. And, and, and I mean, like, how much does it? Probably no way at all, obviously, silly question, but there's no such thing as a silly question, especially on my podcast. <laughs> Based on the massive thing in Birmingham, you could say like Birmingham yeah. was really, yeah. in some ways, like the first creator, if not the, like definitely the yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the place where, yeah, that's no, fair to say, that's a real first yeah, creator. Yeah, I think baseline in Birmingham was, was created in Birmingham. Yeah. So it's, it's a Birmingham sound. It's a Birmingham, the Birmingham um, sound, yeah. But the, the criminal baseline, nothing like that. No, 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 I've heard of And I'd say one thing you'll know if, if any of the ones watching and listening now or later and you've never been to Doghouse Cray, the music's always good, man. Yeah, the music's always good. Friday. You come for a haircut yeah. and you stay for the music. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said that to you last night. I said it's Friday every day of the week, isn't it? Always Friday, isn't it? Yeah, that's always Friday. Mm. Um, it's good. So, like, yeah, now here we are. Like, um, I do want to go into. This opening and, and, the, and the club thing, but also I do want to I feel like there's a bit we skipped past there, which is like I ain't gonna use the C word, we try not to use it on this podcast, not that one, the other one. Uh, <laughs> uh, 20, 21, man, I, I know you know you lost a lot there, brother, and it, like a, it's a personal yeah, and yeah, business, and, and mm-hmm. I think but, you know, everybody's everybody has lost something in the last two years because of the big C. Um, so I'm not going to say and go all being done, you know, rocking on relief. Everybody's been affected. Well, yeah. And I mean, I say everybody. Yeah. No, so, no, I, I agree with you. And I know that sounds like a yeah. fucking cliche thing to say, or, you know, I'm work or whatever. I'm not fucking, always I'm, I've done my research and like, I, I don't want to get into that really to, on this um, podcast, but at the same time, it's caused me uh, personally, not just business wise, but obviously I've, I've lost my dad. Yeah, well, you, you can't lose anymore. No, no, so, the parent, you know, you so. Know, that, that happened a bit later on. I mean, it was four months ago. Um, and it, for me, like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend it wasn't what it was. And it was the vaccines. It was fucking perfectly fine for the vaccines. And no matter what you believe, now's the time. I think everyone's starting to think, I've been done here. Mm. And the people who are still, still in denial, the people still wearing a mask on their bike, going to the shop. Like, what the fuck? The, the, the government have even admitted now 
it's just a flu. And that pisses me off even more because my dad was on his own for four weeks. People have died alone for the last two years. Do you know what I mean? I could go out for fucking hours. I could, I could probably go into a courtroom and be any solicitor with the research that I've done. Not because I'm clever, but because it was something that was close to me. So I'm not going to just sit back on and go and hide behind social media and think, well, I don't want to say that because my social media or what it will make people think. People needed to hear what I had to say. I fucking had a lot to say because of what I'd been through and what I'd lost. And the, even Instagram tries to stop that, and they still ask me to stop that. If you try and search me on Instagram, have a little look if you're not searching already, or if you're not friends with me, it will, tell, it will ask you, are you sure you want to follow this guy? Because I'm speaking the truth. Yeah, you know? yeah I must admit, when I um, you know, created the podcast today, you listening, I did. I tried to tag it in my letter because this person has spread yeah. misinformation about yeah, COVID. Yeah. Or, well, who says what the wrong, the wrong information is? Because half the stuff doesn't make any sense. That's yeah, what it, it is. Doesn't it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't suit their agenda. And I want to say there, it's like it's a collective, isn't it? We've been lied to on a massive, massive global scale. And, um, you know, I've paid the. I've paid the heavy price. Many people have paid the, the heavy price. We've lost the one, we've lost our family, we've lost our parents. And um, yeah. when that shit happens to you, you don't really know what you're capable of. And I've been capable of digging and digging and digging to the point where I could tell you the percentages of people that are vaccinated in fucking Africa. You know, yeah. 6% of people vaccinated in Africa. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's because they're not bothered or do you think it's because they don't watch TV? And I know exactly what it is. It's because they don't watch TV. Mm-hmm. You know, that media is the, the biggest fucking problem. Like mm-hmm. People in Africa don't give a fuck about COVID, not because like, they don't care. Mm-hmm. They don't know about it. Mm-hmm. And like, they ain't catching it because they ain't being vaccinated with it. Like, mm-hmm. you've got to, people have to start. But anyway, we won't go down that. Right? No, no, but like, I'll, I'll give my 10 cents on it. And, um, yeah. You know, like I was mobile, healthy, working as a plumber, essential worker. I was cutting around everywhere in Australia for the best part of 18 months. And then I actually scared myself, and it was nothing more than that because I wasn't watching the news. The, I was I scared myself because I didn't get the facts right that it was time for me to come back and see my family, man. It'd been two years. Usually I come back twice a year, you know. I'm, I'm like someone who likes to connect, although I live far away with the people that I love and that I grew up with and, you know, and my family. But... Um, I scared myself into the fact that I wouldn't be able to come back unless I got the vaccine. Mm-hmm. I got the vaccine a week later. Guess what? I got COVID, and it kicked the shit out of me. And um, it's on the government yeah, website. Look on the government website. There's a graph, and it shows you the spikes in COVID cases. And there's a vaccine rollout, um, and every single time there's a rollout, you got your first vaccine, second vaccine, your booster, your second booster. If you look after every single time it's rolled out, the, the spikes in cases go. Mm-hmm. So it does give direct correlation. So it gives you the fact that COVID is pumped into you, which is how a vaccine works. We all know how a vaccine works. They give you a little bit. But I think, you know, there's there's certain either whether it's the certain amount of vaccines that have got more in or what I don't know, or they know that certain people are not going to deal with COVID so well, mm-hmm. and which is common knowledge like you know covid can affect certain people like older generations worse than which is a very clever virus in fact that doesn't it doesn't kill children it only kills the old and vulnerable mm. which is for me i think that's very clever as a, as a virus mm. you know it's it's yeah i mean it's something that's very close to my heart and something that makes me um you know 
probably one of my mad spiritual journeys into losing my dad because um, it was got to the point where I was making myself uh, angry and trying to find yeah. fucking answers and people to blame. Yeah. I even went and recorded the consultant who was meant to be looking after my dad. Yeah. And I caught him out medically. He couldn't answer me because I'd done my research. He was trying to give me these medical jargon like bullshit. And I was just shutting him down, shutting him down. That's when I realised, you know, it's like, um, it's no way am I sitting in having a blame my nurses and I'm gonna no our nurses are doing their jobs, they're doing their very best and they've been told you've got to get your vaccine or you're losing your job after doing two years of, of fighting for fighting for our fighting for us for like going through that, you know, that makes me angry. And now for them just the government just to go, right, okay, it's fucking on, that's finished. Well, that, mate, this is father is and I got in Australia and not in any rush to go back because they made everybody get it there. Mm. They, I know I've got good friends who are teachers and nurses who have to leave their job after well over a decade of doing it, some of them, because they were like, no, I don't want to get this. And they were like, literally, you cannot come to work again. You cannot even come to this premises again until you've got this, whatever we're putting in your arm. And then, and then they did it to the construction industry. Lucky enough, I worked with someone at the time, a company I was working with. They said, "Don't worry about it. We'll never kick you off the site." But um, it was uh, clever, but um, just disgusting. I don't think there's any better word for it. Everyone, everyone should have. Really comes down to, and I think we'll wrap up on this because I don't like yeah. on this topic because. Um, uh, everyone should, it just comes down to free choice, and everyone free has the free choice, choice of what they want to put in their body. Yeah. Everyone yeah. had their own opinions on it. Uh, my dad had his own opinion. My last message, one of my last messages to my dad, he said to me, Son, if I wasn't vaccinated, I'd be dead already. And I didn't want to fucking be the guy to go, Come on, dad. And I actually, I, I allowed him to, to just, I always accepted what he was saying because I didn't want to make him feel shit. Which respect, isn't it? So You're I'm like, okay, person, dad, yeah, if that's yeah. what you believe. That's what you believe. Yeah. I was already going to that hospital to get him out of there because I knew what they were doing. I researched it, I found it out, and, and what they were doing. And but you know, it, it was too late, and um, that was it. I've had to stomach it. I've had to take it. I'll never ever accept it, and I'll never ever understand what fully was going on. But I've got my um, my own opinions, and some people might not agree with them. I don't care. Well, I've done my research and. And that's it, like my dad. Um, he ain't gonna be coming back. And there's not no matter how much I dig and find, I've had to draw a line and get over it um, and grieve. Yeah. You know, it's four months now, and I've, I've only just really started to to think, fucking, he's gone. Do you know what I mean? Mm. My dad is gone because of what? Mm. Because of a fucking bullshit virus that ninety nine point eight percent of people survive. Mm. And that's a true figure, you know, like right. that figure. I think the actual people that died from COVID, 4,700 and some, and they were over the age of 80 mm. with underlying conditions. Yeah. So I will not have anybody tell me that I'm fucking wrong or that COVID was, that we should protect it. You know, I want to protect anybody as much as anybody else. I had COVID at the start. Yeah. Should we wrap up COVID? Let's wrap it up. <laughs> Let's wrap it up as it's nothing more. Know, nothing more than the, the common flu. But uh, I mean, you mentioned rock bottom earlier. You know, there's yeah. a point in 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 jail when you yeah. were rock bottom, and you yeah. said, you know, that um, and I don't want to dive too much into it, but what I'm trying to get back out of it is no doubt, and fucking my love goes to you, brother. My love, blessings, of course. Not first time I said that to you. Always will go to you. Always does, but. Um, no doubt, there was another 
rock bottom part two when, yeah. when you lost your dad then how did you like what did you how did you turn that energy around to go like what am i it's let's drive into something else let's put it because um not a lot of people would know four weeks that my dad was in hospital like i spent that four weeks trying to find answers to get him out of there trying to find medicines like I know they're using my dad's lung and morphine to kill people. I know they are. Like, I know it's used in, in, in the UK for, um, in the ICU. I know that in America, they don't use it for that. It's for death penalty and it's used for euthanasia. It's my dad's lung, yeah. So you look into my dad's lung, when you mix it with morphine, it's an end-of-life drug, um, which they give to a lot. I mean, I'm quickly going to go on to this because if you don't know this, every single or people's home or nursing home were flooded with midazolam and morphine to end their life nicely. And they ordered tons of it way before, not way before, like I think it was 2019 when they ordered tons of it from India, midazolam, which is, which to me tells me they know what's coming. So the print is up. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but my dad was in there for four weeks and I did everything I could. Um, and it got to the point where they, they phoned us up at three in the morning and said, and this is, he's got to put me into a coma. And I'm like, why are you putting me into a coma at three o'clock in the morning? Why haven't you asked us? Because he didn't want you to know. I was like, no. Nah. So I fucking drove to the hospital in Bristol and I was got there in about an hour from Birmingham, which is probably half an hour quicker than you should. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, so I got to the hospital. I thought, I'm not going to tell them I'm here, I'm going to find the ICU and uh, I want to speak to somebody. So I spent like another hour in Bristol Hospital walking around uh, and when it opened and I uh, was walking through doors when nurses were walking out, they were in cards and I managed to get to a door where there was a black bag on the window to stop me from looking in. ICU, which for me was like a bit weird. Yeah, so I don't need to see in there, don't need to know. So I'm outside and I said to the woman, I said, look, um, I wanna I wanna speak to somebody, I wanna fucking know what's, what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I managed to um, this lady luckily was pretty nice and um took me another four hours to get a consultant to me. So I was just like so I managed to get through the door when a nurse went out and I was literally from here to, to that walk from the laptop away from my dad's bed, up through a glass window because he was because he was in the COVID. Uh, I see you. And um at that point I was still thinking, no, fuck this, I'm gonna get him out of there, can get him out. And uh <clears throat> spoke to the consultant, recorded him, and um give me all this bullshit, and I was obviously done my research, and I still thought, nah, there's no, no way these are so I still was at the point where I didn't know what to believe, but I knew that you shouldn't be you shouldn't be telling me he's deteriorating or whatever. No, is it? I don't know. Bit confused here with the times, but long story short, my dad was in a coma after they put him into a coma without telling us. Anyway, seven days later, phone us to say that he's not going to make it. Basically, I'm like, seven days in a coma, that's not long enough. Like, no, you're in a coma to recover your, your organs, and um, that's what you were, your body, that's your time to recover. And um, so we've gone back up to the hospital, been there every day, like going to and from Bristol like every fucking day. Um, and uh, yeah, went in there and I called us in. I was just going, you know, like he's, he's, um, he's all going to miss that. And I was like, that's all fucking, what the fuck do I have? And um, I was like, going back to 
what your question was about being at rock bottom and how I mm-hmm. moved forward from it. There was a moment where I looked at my dad and instead of him being like blind with his arms, like, I don't know, they must have done it, he wouldn't have moved, but it was just the way he was. When I seen him for the, the last time of me actually thinking, I'll get him out of here, he was lying on this. Yeah. Like, strong. Yeah. Strong. Like a champion. Champion. Yeah. Arms would be full of, you know, and I thought, fuck it. And he must have, and this is where, like, the spiritual sides of stuff, which, again, I fucking, I'm not a spiritual, I wasn't a spiritual person before this. Was you, you said I'm not. I'm, I'm I, wasn't, yeah. I wasn't. So, like, I'm, my dad's lying there, and, like, I'm standing there. And I said to, I was there with my sister, and I was like, I said, he's ready to go. Not out of nowhere. And she was like, what are you on about? So he's ready to go. And that was my dad, that was my dad telling me, son, you're 45, you've done everything you can for me, you're ready, to go. I'm ready to go. He was fucking strong. And I, no, I didn't look at him before that, I thought he was looking ill, man. Like, you know, it was on all these machines. And this time I felt like fucking strong myself. And I thought, I said, he's fucking, he's ready to go. So I had to make that decision. So like my sisters, um, his partner, his, you know, my stepbrothers and sisters and everybody else in my family was looking at me because I was the one that was going to get him out of there. And then I had to say, you know, like, but not in a way where, like, I'm fucking up. My dad told me, his arm around me, he said, like, I'm fucking son, I'm ready to go. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you felt it. Yeah, yeah. that's when I, um, I said to everybody, look, you know, he, he's not, he's got to go. We've got to let him go. It's not fair. His lungs were battered. I'll show me the pictures of it. Of his lungs, so um, so I said, well, I want to see his lungs, I want to see everything. I don't believe anything that anybody's saying, but I know that he's got so this. I think just before I made my decision, I seen his lungs and I seen the scar, and they told me all this shit and they fuming with the consultant because they they done stuff behind my back, they this DNR form, do not resuscitate form, they signed it for you, you know, like this is fucking common. So now, just if he passes away, the but the, I mean, the, the spiritual element of this is that DNR form, um, I told him not to sign it. I will, we'll make that decision. You bring him back at all, all circumstances, you bring my dad back. The morning that he, the day passed away, on that morning he died, but they brought him back because I told him to sign it, to unsign it. And on that morning, I dreamt, or I had like a mad, somebody was in my room. And I've never felt like scared in my life like that, where I fucking jumped in, jumped out of bed, jumped back into bed, and I was just like, fucking someone's there. Shit myself with God. I now know that my dad died at some point in that morning, right. and I think it's him. Well, I'm ready to see him. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, again, some people might think, fucking you know, like, hell, I don't care. All I know is I've never felt like somebody's in my room, like, in my life where I'm like, fucking shit scared. I don't know what the fuck it was. Jumped back into bed, half asleep, whatever. Um, I now believe that's my dad trying to come to me. And I now know after, you know, so anyway, made the decision. We all made a decision and um, we turned the machine off and uh, we put him into an end of life room. So we're all in this in the end of life room. They tried to put us all in all these fucking gloves and what I said, fuck that. I don't want a glove. I don't want to fucking touch my dad. He's, he's dying. He's, he, you know, he's saying to me, he's done. Hey. And um, yeah, basically. To turn the machine off and for eight minutes I had to help my dad die. You know, I had to treat him like my son. Do you know what I mean? Mm. <clears throat> Every time I tell that 
to myself, like, um, you know, treating your dad that way, like making him feel safe, not safe, but, um, you know, treating him as my son like he would for me. Yeah. I guess um, it's hard to talk about that moment because that's the moment where I knew that dad's going. Yeah, it became a lot real apparent to you. Real, like, I think um, it was all a bit of a dream, like a bit of a blur, but, but then it was like, I looked at my sisters and um, uh, the machine was bleeping and my dad was like, you know, he, he was working his own, working on his own, which was too difficult because of his lungs. Um, then I just felt like a sudden surge of like, energy like an excitement which is very weird to feel that way when your dad's dying when your dad's in his last seconds mm. and the blood left my dad's face and he went down his arm and i was on his hand and something went into my body and I, like i said before like i'm not a spiritual person or wasn't mm. until that until these things started happening i look back now and like that was fucking i felt like the lights could have exploded when my dad was leaving when his spirit when he's you know, and he left his body. As soon as he left his body, I wasn't looking at him like my dad anymore. It was just a body. And um, there's things that I'm, I now look back and think, mate, I'm, it makes me feel better because like, when people pass away, it's like they leave their body. That body's no longer them no more. That spirit's so powerful. Like, and again, like, um, people might not know this side of me because I've never heard of this side of me. Like, this side of me, a spiritual side of me, talking like this, saying this. That what we are, this, this machine that our spirit drives, this, you know. This is the vehicle. This is the vehicle. Oh, it's yeah, vehicle. the spirit. The spirit. You know, it stops. But, so it makes me feel better knowing that my dad, like, was ready and, like, he was okay with it because mm. I felt like he's okay. Yeah. You know, Brought he's you dying, he's okay. My dad wasn't afraid of death. He was yeah. a fucking undertaker. Um, he was a grave digger. He was a um, I don't know what the word is about cremating people. A cremator? Let's go with that lack of a cremator. Yeah, so he, he wasn't afraid of it. If he actually had a pet with a woman, he, he worked about who would cremate each other first. <laughs> <laughs> and she that's one of the most fucked up pets I've ever had. I mean, it's a fucked up pet, and that's what my dad was like. Okay, yeah. When we actually had information, that place, she actually said, look, we had a pet, and, um, you know, nobody wants to. My dad was that loved that the the funeral costs were pretty much nothing because <laughs> the people were like, well, we shouldn't be here. And um, it just proved what type of a man he was and, you know, such a loss, you know. And, um, yeah, like, the spiritual sides of me now are like, yeah, okay, it, make, it does make me feel better knowing that my dad's okay. And, like, I've, I've even seen a clairvoyant. No one knows yeah. that. Seen one, she, she approached my girlfriend, who was one of the, my girlfriend's customers, she's only young, 20 years old, one after money. She said a few things to my girlfriend, which was what she's going on about. And um, it turned out it was my dad, um, but he couldn't get to me because I'm closed up. I'm a fucking car made to get my emotions out very hard. Like I feel emotional now because I'm talking about yeah. my dad, but you know, I'm not, I don't show me emotion very much, um, mm. like most men, but my dad was total opposite, you know. Like he would, he would know he'd tell you, look, yeah, we, you know, he's a fucking very hand, hard deceived guy, yeah. you know, where I'm not. Um, yeah, yeah. This, this girl, she approached my, my girlfriend and um, can see me upstairs and no one was there. And she told me stuff like, and he was there, she told me what he was wearing. Like, yeah, and she, 
to the point where if you say someone's in a coffin, my dad, my dad was in his coffin, I'll close, I know what he's wearing, and check shirt and, and fucking jeans. And um, his favourite check shirt, she's like, yeah, man. Nobody would know that. If she said he was in a suit or in a shirt, I'd be like, you know, it could be anyone. General, she general. told me he's in a check shirt. And I was just like, what the fuck? And like, this is then another thing that's just added to my spiritual... Um, Spirituality. Yeah, I'm just that's thinking, right, yeah. like, fuck me, this is like... And then what she told me about people when they die, where you go into a sanctuary, and she, you know, like, I'm just like, fucking... Like, I think anybody that's lost anybody... Um, I think it's it's nice to know that it's that's not the end. Like, and now that's the I think that's the way I'm sort of grieving at the moment. Yeah. Like, you know, I look at my dad's photos. I look at I look at it, I look at him all the time. Like this Sunday, we're doing a gender reveal, and this story, like the gender reveal, means way more having twins on the way. <clears throat> but the 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 date that they were conceived, like I told you earlier. Is exactly the same day that I asked my dad to help us. Like, I'm Irish, so I closed my dad's coffin. And on that day, I promised him that I would look after everybody he loves and, um, you know, and just basically asked him to help us. And um, yeah, fucking conceived mm-hmm. on the same day that I asked him on the same day as his funeral. Mm-hmm. And that's come from that's... the measurements of the, of the, the babies. Yeah. And they were whatever, whatever they do. To, to say that's how fucking long ago it was is the 25th of October. The same day in that room. And even the woman, I was like, what? I said, what did you say? What day was that? She said, the 25th of October. She said, well, I said, it's my dad's room. So it's sad because we've been like trying for two years. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, yeah, mental. But yeah, I think um, the the grieving process for anybody is different. Everyone, my, my older sister, Samoa, she's really struggling. Um, but I said to her, there's no right or wrong way to do it. There's no rules. There's no rules. Right. No rules. My little sister, Megan, she's, she's a gay she, you know, she just had another baby. She's got, I think, other things to, to keep her mind going. And Almost like, to distract you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody will understand until you lose a parent, and especially when they've been taken unnecessarily. My dad didn't and die so, quick, so quickly as well. My dad yeah, didn't die quick. a heart attack. My dad didn't die in a fucking car crash. My dad was taken. Mm. And you've got to, for me to get over that, I have to draw a line at it. Well, rather than just me getting out, I'll never get over that. Well, I had to draw a line to, to, to put it to bed, to then start grieving for my dad. Yeah. But, to move on to the next stage, Move on, and like... Um, you know, well, to your dad, man, to my dad, Kazito, Kazito, <laughs> and Chacho. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's a very interesting story. And honestly, thanks for being so open and honest mm-hmm. because uh, not everyone on the channel always willing to do that. And I'm mm-hmm. sure that anyone who watches this now or maybe even months, years from now, mm-hmm. could find some good value in that because it's 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 mortality, isn't it? You know, and at some point. We're all, if you know, if someone hasn't already, we're all going to face it, yeah. yeah. We're all, all going to lose because we're realizing the significance of this time. Like, again, I sound like a fucking crazy, but like, I've, I watch a lot of astronomy, you know, with um, Brian Cox and yeah. you know, the, the planets yeah. and, the, and the universe. I don't think that's crazy, I've watched a lot more crazy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I just mean like that this time is nothing. It, it is, it's a, it's a, 
if you could like look at a beach and pick up one grain of sand, mm. like that is what your life is yeah. in the vast expanse yeah. of how long yeah. this whole thing yeah. has been here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And I, I believe, like, just to give give my turn to that, and I I found this out through something uh, my sister told me about years ago. I forgot what the form of um, regression therapy is called. Mm. Regression therapy is when they they keep taking you back and back and back um, to the point where your trauma started and then they, you know, okay, this is when it started, we'll work, work forward from there. But they've done it with some people who have gone like to three, four, five years old and then they keep going back and they start telling the story of essentially like another life, a lifetime and they start going back to, um, and there's even, there was one doctor who, who famously who wrote a book about it, he was doing regression therapy on these two people who were telling two halves of the same story. There's two people from the same set. And he was like, um, when you're a doctor, you sign something called the Hippocratic Oath, which means you can't talk about anything you've dealt with and you certainly can't share it with others. But he was like, I'm going to book these people in at the same time. And he did. And these people fell in love. And he was like, basically, this is them in their second life, falling, or third, fourth, fifth life, whatever, but falling in love all over again. And I was like, and, I, and, I'd already, and a few of the things I'd read and aligned with, and I actually think that you... Uh, like here in, in this is the vehicle that you're in um, but this is your spirit which is way way bigger than that and when you go i believe that you come back in another form and you keep coming back until you live out your purpose uh, and i think that and for me like um doesn't make me fine about dying next week month or year but i think when it does come it's like i'm like well this isn't the end this is the end of this journey this yeah. realm on this plane but it keeps going after that. It's so, a lot yeah. of religions as well, isn't it? Like, okay. Yeah, faith. Uh, yeah. The faith of you know what happened when when you die and all that. I think well, you know, fair play. Like, yeah. if that's it makes you feel better yeah. and, and and whatnot. Then then why not? It's faith. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not really personal. I'm like that's my like believer in the universe and and um, that you just your spirit. You know, it's a it's a powerful and a beautiful thing, and, and it keeps coming keeps coming back. I reckon we're um, maybe we go for an hour and a half. I never thought, I never thought we'd go for this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got onto the future. Yeah, I was just about to say the future. The future. Yeah, we can read. Okay, do you want to talk about the future? What do you reckon? We can go part two. We, I, mate, I would happily go part two. We'll do part two. And I reckon we've got, I'm just checking my notes here if there's none. We've, um, We'll do it before the 19th of March for obvious reasons because I think that will align well with the future. Yeah. I, mean, but, I think hopefully by then as well. We'll be, so we haven't spoke about the Berlin Bar yet. We, we haven't, haven't spoke about, about the Berlin Bar. So I think if we spoke about the past and, and we've spoke about the present, I think the future has got so much, you know, there's, there's a lot going on behind the scenes and there's a lot going on uh, even for me, like, you know, the last two years have been shit and I've, I've lost a lot, but I've still been working, I've still been grinding. I think no matter what happens, I think there's one thing we can get out of today, it's um, don't ever give up. Like, I think that's, okay. I think, I know it sounds cliche, it's like, oh, well, everyone would say that, but I could have easily through the towel probably mm. fucking five times. I've, I've had business partner breakdowns, I've had, you know, I've had shit going on. I could have easily just thought, fuck that, I'm, I'm done. Then COVID come and it's, it's hammered it again and you rebuild and you just keep going because something inside of me, 
Um, it just keeps telling me to get back up and go again. And yes. I'm, I'm excited about what's coming, and I think. You know, I'm excited. About, I'm excited to get my hair cut by you again because every time I see you, you tell me about something else. That I didn't know was happening. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I said to you earlier, you know, like, how do you how do you divide your time and manage all these things? And you're like, look, it's a challenge. You know, it's a big challenge. And I think it's a challenge for us. But um, we'll wrap up this. And you just kind of answered it there, but it is something I ask everyone on every episode. And like, what in those times when it gets tough, when it gets difficult, where when most people go. You know what? I'm going to take the easier path here because um, it's just a bad thing to do. Like time of the show, I've got that. So, what in those moments of strife and struggle drives your quite evident where you've got hunger for the hustle and make you keep going? Um, I think a lot of it's got to do with with the past, like the, the having nothing. Um, I think if you've had nothing, um, you'll understand how that feels, okay. but then you'll also appreciate yeah. what it's like to and. Uh, um, I've not even spoke about this today, but it's something I really want to talk about. Social media and the bullshit that surrounds it. Yeah. You know, I'm happy to talk about my situation. I will talk about it openly because I feel like it will help others. Like, look, because I know a lot of people look at my social media and they look at me and I think, fucking, like, you know, people who know me know my struggle and they know what's going on behind the scenes. And you know, I'm in a financial situation. I'm not. Uh, you know, I'm in it because of because of COVID. I don't blame myself. My businesses are strong. My ideas are strong. COVID has been put there to destroy uh, as much as it can. Um, and yes, it's put me into a financial situation. A situation I, I don't care about talking about. You know, I've fucking I've got rid of my car. I've downsized on the house. I've done everything that I can to keep myself going and uh, come back stronger and fucking literally. Nothing's going to stop me until I until I reach the goals that I've put in my mind. Where that where I'm going, I don't know, and how far I will go, I don't know. But there's one thing for sure, you know, this is not this is not the end, and the bird and wild will be back, and it's going to be fucking insane. I can't wait to party there. I can't let you know. You just get started. That's a I think that's a beautiful way to always look at things fresh every day. I'm just getting started. I'm grateful for all I've done, all I've achieved, yeah, and I'm proud of that. But there's so much more in it. Yeah, bro. Thanks for your time for you today. Appreciate having you on. Thank you for all of you lot for listening, joining, watching. Whether you're live now or later, appreciate you. The show is nothing without its audience. Much love to all of you guys. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay hungry, and keep on hustling. Thanks, everyone. I'll see you next time.